0: Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. Well, we are, uh, golly, almost there at Holy Week. Um, where's the year gone? Um, it's incredible how quickly this year's moved already. But next week is Palm Sunday, and then we have Tenebrae coming, and then Easter. So we're in that zone. And so today, what we are doing is we are finishing up our sermon series that we've been preaching from the Old Testament on biblical characters before Christ. If you have looked at your bulletin, the name of the person we are, uh, we are preaching about today is uh, familiar to all of us. People both inside and outside of the church have heard of King David. Now, um, King David is someone whose story begins a long time before he assumes the throne. Uh, It it actually starts when God rejects the former king. Uh, You all know his name, King Saul. Saul is rejected for chronic, willful, blatant sins. And by chronic, it's again and again and again. He even at one point consults with a witch. And um, so God rejects him. And, And then David enters the story. And David is actually years away from assuming the throne when we meet him. But God still sends in Samuel 16 the prophet Samuel to anoint David as the next king. And, and if we know the story, and I think we've all heard it in, in times past, there is a primary reason why God hand-selects David. Uh, we see it for the first time in 1 Samuel 13 when we are told that God is choosing a man after His own heart to be the next ruler, and, and, and to lead his people. And so in that moment, when David is anointed, again, years away from the throne, what happens to David is that the Spirit of God falls on him, and God is with David in a really big way. And so here he is, again, years before, but he, he steps into a God-adventure. David begins to live this great big life and and adventure with God. Um, We see it in in a number of different ways. Number one, uh, he is mentored by the most godly man in Israel for a while. Uh, Samuel is his mentor. Uh, We all know the famous story of David as a young man, as a teen, squaring off, fighting a nine-foot giant named Goliath. David only has a slingshot and some stones, but he's victorious. And then we have King Saul getting jealous of David. You know, that, that tension builds all throughout the, you know, the, the, the preamble of, of, of his reign. But Saul is getting more and more jealous of David day after day. Saul goes from being irked to angry to just ravenous towards David. And we read time and time again how he wants to kill this young man. And so David has to flee, and he he goes off into hiding, and here he is learning how to trust God. You know, I've been anointed by God. I'm the next king, yet I'm on the run for my life. And and we just see in David just this building trust and and knowing of God, and and it really shows itself in, in a couple of stark moments when David has two golden opportunities to kill Saul. And and these are two moments where we're going to see, has this guy grown in the Lord? Uh, You know, what's his maturity level? And uh, one of those two times when he catches Saul unawares, Saul literally, literally has his pants down, right? And, And we have David and his men hiding in a corner of a cave. And everyone is saying to David, do it, kill him, take Saul out. But David spares his life. In fact, both times, David spares Saul's life. And then finally, uh, more time passes, and King Saul dies, and David can finally assume the throne. All this waiting is over, and David first becomes the king of Judah. A little later, he becomes the king of Israel. And you know, he, he, again, he, all that training was for something that one of his first acts is he has got to recapture Jerusalem from the Jebusites as a brand new king. A little while later, he's got to go and fight against the Philistines who have attacked Israel, And, and, and he defeats them. And then finally, David is allowed to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. And the Ark of the Covenant is the presence of God. And it's just this, this high moment just showing everything that God has spoken and everything that God has done. And, you know, we read this, we see all of this, and we just say, you know, David is off to an unbelievable start as king. Never has there been a man like this, uh, you know, where where godliness and authority and power and goodness all just come together, and God's blessings are just raining down on Israel, and that's not just my opinion. That's actually God's assessment of the situation as well. Listen to 2 Samuel uh, 7, 8 through 10, and verse 16, where God speaks about David. He says, David, I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you've gone. I've destroyed all of your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who's ever lived on earth. I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they'll never be disturbed. David, your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. And the bottom line of all this brief history is that, by all accounts, David is the man, right? He really is the man after God's own heart. How could we dispute it? Well, yeah, but there is that one thing, right? which of course we're going to talk about today. So let's pray, and then let's look at all of this together with that one thing. Father God, we rejoice in what you've done, Lord. We look back at the Old Testament, and we have seen Jesus again and again and again, Lord. We've even seen the dynamics of what Christ will do in the lives of all of these forerunners. And so, Lord, today we just open our ears, we open our hearts, Father God, we say, have your way in us as we place ourselves underneath the life-giving Word of Jesus, the life-giving Word of God in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's talk about that one thing, right? Uh, We have all of this, glory, majesty, beauty, just incredible adventure with God and then after all of this, we turn a very dark corner with David, don't we? Um, we turn this very human, tragic corner in David's life where with all of this in place, all of this God adventure and wonder in place, David one day from a distance sees a woman. He sees a woman named Bathsheba, and the Word of God says she is beautiful. But not only is she beautiful, she is bathing, and temptation strikes David. David in this moment is inflamed with lust for this woman, and every one of us who have ever read this story, we have this Hollywood slow-motion reaction when we read this, and together our hearts all cry out, no, David, no. But David gives into it. As, As so many others in history have, he gives into this. And he abuses his power. He summons her to himself. He takes advantage of Bathsheba. And David, the Word of God says, sleeps with her. And in this moment, what's happened is David has not just broken one of the Ten Commandments. He's broken two. Number seven and number ten. David has coveted his neighbor's wife. And he's committed adultery with her. And so right here... David is in deep spiritual danger. He has opened his heart and his mind to darkness and to sin. And yet we all know that, that God is the God of redemption, right? We, we, we sang about it today. It came at Colleen spoke it beautifully. We know that God is the God of love. We know that restoration comes from God whenever a person is repentant. So now our hearts are not just crying, "No, David, no." because David's already done it, our hearts are crying out, repent, David, repent. In the name of Jesus, repent of this. Well, David's response to this is he then has her husband killed, so he can have Bathsheba all to himself. And then listen to this, 2 Samuel eleven twenty-seven. After the time of mourning, for her husband is over, after the time of mourning was over, David had Bathsheba brought to his house, and she became his wife, and she bore him a son. You know what that means? It means that David just decided he would go on and just live his life like it was any other day. Hey, folks, you know, you you ever come across a, a police scene, they want you to stay back, the tape is up, and the police are like, you know, there's nothing to see here, move on. That's what David's trying to do with his life. I'm all good, I'm king, everything's cool, no problems here. But actually, there is a problem. And the problem is the size of Mount Everest, and it's the end of verse 27, which says, but this thing that David had done, it displeased the Lord big problem, major issue. We're not going to wish that one away, right? You're not going to shrug that off. And so, soon afterwards, God sends the prophet Nathan to talk to David, actually to rebuke and confront David. And this rebuke is really long. And if you've ever read it, it's heart-wrenching. As Nathan uses an illustration that David gets sucked into, and then David realizes he is the subject of the story, But Nathan, in essence, says, look, David, what has happened to you? God made you king. God hand-selected you. God gave you this kingdom, and, and, and this kingdom, it is a slice of heaven on earth. David, if you had ever needed anything, God would have given you whatever it was you needed. But instead of that, you have despised the word of the Lord. David, you you took another man's wife. You had him killed. Translation, David, you destroyed their entire family. Any future generation to come from Uriah uh, Uriah and Bathsheba, it's over. You've destroyed everything for them. So now you're going to reap what you sowed. Your own family now, David, will rebel against you. What you did in secret is going to play out in public for many days to come. That's enough for us, right? It was enough for David. David hears this and finally to his credit he repents. David cries out, I have sinned against the Lord. And to God's credit, being who he is, God forgives David on the spot, forgives him right there. But God does inform David that he has still, and this is David, David has set a chain of events into motion through sin, and those events are going to play out for a time in his life. And so, as we go forward in 2 Samuel, uh, that's exactly what we see happening to David. In chapter 12, we read about the death of David's infant son, and it is connected. Uh, In chapter 13, we read about his daughter Tamar being violated by her half-brother named Amnon. Uh, That action inflames her other brother, Absalom. He is inflamed with rage. He orders a hit, an assassination on Amnon, and it is carried out. That half-brother is is, is murdered, causing Absalom then to have to flee the kingdom and, and hide out for three years. After that time period, David finally brings Absalom back, but he keeps Absalom out of his presence for more years. Finally, Absalom is restored to David's presence and life in the royal court, and and it seems like, wow, this train wreck is over. You know, all these effects of sin, finally they're done, but even then, we see that as Absalom settles back into life as usual… There is still an underlying sinister issue happening. Absalom, during all this time of exile, he never comes to his senses. His heart never breaks over shedding blood. Uh, he, he is never repentant. He never sees the end of uh, uh, the, the error of his ways. And so, not repenting and staying in all this, what happens to Absalom is during this time of supposed peace. He is stewing and simmering in bitterness and hatred. So Absalom, for the next couple of years, quietly manipulates his way forward. He he, he manipulates, he schemes, he plots, and when the time is right, he launches a mutiny and I use that because we're in a naval town, launches a mutiny against David and he almost takes over the throne. It gets so bad that even King David has to flee the throne for a time as this tug of war. Who will have the throne? Will it be Absalom? Will it be be David? Back and forth this thing rages until David finally gets the upper hand. There is a great battle, Scripture says. There is tremendous slaughter 20,000 men are killed. And Absalom has to flee for his life. And, and some of you know the story. Absalom flees the kingdom on horseback. But as he is riding away on horseback, he gets caught up in a tree by his hair, and he is hanging like a rag doll. I mean, just, I don't know if you can even picture that. Guy's got, he's got Hayden Herd hair. I mean, you know, he is hanging by this hair. And Joab comes along as David's men are pursuing. He comes and he stabs Absalom in the heart twice. David's men cut him down and they finish him off. Oh, what a story. David finally takes the throne, but he now begins his reign, his re-reign in great mourning and great sadness for everything that's unfolded. Tamar, Amnon, the slaughter, his son Absalom's death. There it is, that one thing. That is one great big thing, ain't it? This one great big thing in David's life. And we read all this, even after all the glory and some good stuff after that, and we just think, you know, what a train wreck. What a mess. What a waste. All because David, the man after God's own heart, had to go ahead and take the nest he plunged back into sin. Look at what happened. And that's that one thing. This one scandalous, sinful episode that even for us today as we talk about David, this one thing kind of hangs us up, right? I mean, this is the one thing that, you know, even as we talk about David, we we kind of put an asterisk by David, man after God's own heart, and the asterisk is, well, read chapters 11 through 18 for this other thing. But here's what I want to suggest to us today, a couple of things. Number one, to look down on David. And to judge him as a tarnished saint is actually incredibly biblically irresponsible. That is a wrong way to understand David. It misses what really happened in this man's life. It misses completely who David becomes by the end of the story. In fact, I'll go ahead and say this. I believe that from the moment David confesses his sin to God, something happens in David. Something beautiful begins to blossom. Now listen, the effects of his sin, they are still blowing themselves out like a hurricane in his life, but inside David, something is different. A much richer man of God than he was before is emerging even though his former sins, the results of it, are in play. I'll point out a couple things to you. Number one, when his son Amnon sins sexually against Tamar. Notice that David doesn't do something. And by the way, this is what Absalom is really mad about. David doesn't do something. As king, okay, which means he is over the law, right? He's also bound to the law of God. David should, by the law, he ought to just kill Amnon on the spot. David doesn't do it. Why doesn't David do that? Because David is a man in repentance, and as a man in repentance, in his past, he has done the same thing. And David is quick in this moment when it comes to his son to remember, you know what? God spared my life. When his son Absalom rebels against him and causes all this trouble in the kingdom, you know, David probably ought to kill him too, but he at least ought to ride out in vengeance There ought to be a vindictive tracking down and taking care of this kid, locking him in a dark dungeon. But David instead remembers that God had mercy on him. So David, you know, sometimes he gets blamed for being a little too much from the heart toward his children. Mercy is a big part of David's restraint here. Here's another remarkable moment, okay? I didn't read you this one before, but I'll share it with you now. When David has to flee from Jerusalem... In 2 Samuel 16, 5 through 14, as David is leaving Jerusalem and and as he uh, approaches Bahurim, a man from Saul's clan, now a clan is a family, a a man from Saul's Saul's, uh, ancestral clan, his name is Shimei, he comes out, okay, and David is surrounded by guards. He comes out and he begins to pelt David with stones, okay? Do we all remember who David is at this point? He is still the king. He pelts him with stones, and he begins to curse him. Now, here's what his curse is, all right? This is quite a curse. He says to him, get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a murderer. As he's saying this again, David is being hit with stones and dirt clogs, you know, anything the guy can pick up. And and one of David's guards, he hears this in verse 9, and I'll tell you, he's had enough. He says this to David, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? (laughs) Let me cut off his head. David's response to him is beautiful. Listen to this. What does this have to do with you? Maybe God told him to say that to me. And then the gist of it is here, cool your jets. Continue in your way. Don't retaliate. Maybe God will see my misery and restore his blessing to me instead of his curse today. I point all that out to you, and you might say, okay, well, you pointed it out. So, Steve, what is the point of this? The point is this. It is, again, although David's former sins are blowing themselves out in his life. David has faced the correction of God before. He has faced the judgment of God. And David is a different man. Brokenness and humility are a very real part of this king. And we might wonder, wait, he was good enough to lead before. No, no, no. Now he is fit to lead the kingdom. And see, what, what I love about David here is not only was he repentant for that one thing he did with Bathsheba, well, yeah, and that other thing with her husband, and the cover-up, not, not only is, was David repentant for that one moment, David really is living out repentance every day of his life. You know, even in regard to the throne and the curse we, we just heard, what I love about that is David's even saying, look… I'm not going to try and hold on to something that God might be taking away from me. That's humility. David is not about to shed another man's blood now unless the Lord commands him to do it. And you know when it comes to his sons, David is committing to loving his children no matter how rotten they are. So, So here is a man, he has learned from his past sin failures, and he is not about to repeat them anymore. He will not walk in that way any longer. You know, Mark quoted a verse a couple of weeks ago, a beautiful verse, about how for us, for every one of us, Jesus Christ is either the stone that we fall upon when it comes to our sin. We fall upon Jesus and we are broken. Or if we want to kind of hold on to it and, you know, do the holy shuffle and all that stuff and, you know, hey, we're good, there's no sin in our life, what happens is in the end, Jesus is a very different kind of stone for us. He is that stone of judgment that falls on us and, and, and crushes us. Well, I'll tell you this, David has been beautifully broken. And listen, I know, I know Jesus is centuries away from coming, but you know what? He's existed for all time. David here, in a very real way, looks to Christ. He is beautifully broken through repentance. You know, the last days of of, of David's life prove this, by the way. Uh, If you you go and you look past when he comes back onto the throne to to serve for that last chapter, that last season of his life, we read beautiful things about David. You know, even if you just look at the chapter headings, you see this several times, David shows mercy. David shows kindness again and again and again and again. You just see the benevolence and the generosity and just the lavish love of a man who really is close to Christ. We see David as king and warrior still being victorious for God in battle. We see one other thing that blew me away. I'd never really realized this before, but as I was studying, I saw this. Do you remember what, what Nathan said to David when he began his rebuke? He said, "David, you have despised the word of the Lord," right? The end of David's life, he is a man who is in love with the word of God. You know, you hear him quote things, you hear him say things. You know, you hear him refer to other prophets, but there's also a book of the Bible called Psalms, 150 chapters. David wrote over half of those. Just Pouring his heart out back and forth with his love of God and love of the law. David is a different man. And brothers and sisters, here's where I want you to be encouraged today. When it comes to being a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart, a child after God's own heart, when it comes to being a person after God's own heart, it is not, and and there may be a chain that falls with somebody right here, it is not about being Perfect. Okay, David had a perfect track record before this, right? Being a person after God's own heart is not about being perfect. A person after God's own heart, instead, they live out a life of repentance. That moment that they experience, their cross moment when they say yes to Jesus, they don't ever graduate from it, you know? Have you ever heard somebody tell their their testimony before and they go, oh yeah, you know, I repented talking about that one time, they live in, in, in the shadow of repentance. The shadow of the cross is on their life the whole time they live repentance out. And what that means is that when they fall, and by the way, will we fall? Please say yes, uh, because uh, anybody who says, hey, I'm all good, I never sin," First uh, John says that person is a liar, the truth of God is not in them. But listen, when they fall they get back up. And Colleen, like your encouragement, said, you know, when they get up, what do they do? They turn back in God's direction time and time again. They return to the Word of God, the love of God, the worship of God, the uh, uh, life with God. And you know, we have a contrast of that in the story we talked about today. The flip side of that kind of life is Absalom. You know, Absalom is, is a young man who never repents. You know, he he holds on to his original assumption that he had every right to kill his brother, and, and, and he holds on to his original assumption that he has every right to hate his father and overthrow his father. See, all of Absalom's life, what we read, and it ends up being a short life, is he just goes further and deeper into darkness into sin, into bitterness, and in the end what happens to Absalom is God judges him. God takes him out. Um, I didn't explain this earlier, but it's really interesting and it ties into the sermon. So let me explain a little bit about that horseback thing real quick. Um, Why do they kill? This is the question. Why does Joab kill Absalom? Now David has told him, hey, whatever you do when this battle is over, do not kill my son. Joab rides up with some other men on Absalom, and they see him hanging there, and they kill him. Why do they do it? Why do they disobey the order of the king? Here's why they do it. Deuteronomy 21-23 says this, cursed is anyone who hangs from a tree. That was a verse that was known to Everybody in the ancient Near East. Okay. By the way, that's how Abraham knows. Have you ever? Abraham's walking up the mountain with his son Isaac. God has said he will be the sacrifice. Take his life as an act of worship to me. Abraham gets all the way up there, lays his son right out, prepares. The angel stops him and says, "No, no, no! Don't do this. I know you fear me above all else." So Abraham knows his son is spared. But then, Scripture says, he looks over and he sees something. Do you remember what it is? It's a ram. And what's the ram doing? He's caught in a woody plant by his horns. He is caught by, uh, by his horns in a thicket. In that moment, Abraham knows, there it is. It's caught in a tree. This is what will be cursed instead of my son and be sacrificed. Folks, in the same way, Joab comes up on Absalom. He sees him hanging by a tree. He's got the order of a king, but still he knows there it is, God's judgment. And Absalom's life ends right there. Absalom ends his life under the judgment of sin. But David, on the other hand, who I think we all can agree at this point he was a pretty good sinner for a little while, David ends life free from the sin that once held him in chains. And folks, that's the gospel. That's Jesus. That's the cross. That's the hope we have, every one of us. But I'll tell you, even this morning as Christians, we can be in one of two camps or one of two boats, you know, whatever, one of two fields. Um, We can give in to sin like Absalom did. Even as Christians, we can waste the life that God has given us. Or we can be very much like David, who even though he's pre-Christ, he looks to Christ, and he is restored, he is renewed, and he is resurrected. So this morning on this communion Sunday, as we go to the table together to partake of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, let me ask you a question. This is the question that I've been asking myself all week as I've been preparing. How are you doing when it comes to sin and repentance, how are, how are you and I doing with it? Are we making the most of opportunities that are before us all the time? What, what, what opportunities? Opportunities like worship. Opportunities like prayer. Opportunities like communion. Are we using those opportunities as the people of God to turn in God's direction through confession, repentance, and forgiveness? Or do we find ourselves like Absalom, and by the way, I've found myself like this more than once, but like Absalom, excusing our sins, blaming sins on other people, acting like we're all good, but we know the truth. Inside, we're wasting away in bitterness, offense, and and darkness. This morning, we have an opportunity to just step toward God, for communion not to be something that's trite and once a month, check, we did it, but but for this to be a time for us just to turn in the Lord's direction with whatever it is, whatever's out of line, to seize the repentance and the grace that is before us. The last thing I ever want to be a part of, I don't want it to be true in my life or in any of your lives, is for us to be people who make a mockery of the cross of Jesus Christ. But instead, we embrace the love, the life, and the sweet, sweet mercy of Jesus. And then we just go on to live a life of freedom and a life of repentance. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.